So anyone in here that is a parent, a teacher, an administrator, or anyone else, give yourself a round of applause. We made it through another year. For all of you guys that have kids that are not yet in school, you don't understand how big Memorial Day is to all of us. No more projects. No more last minute, let's put this stuff together for this final uh, test or anything like that. And so I'm always really glad to see people here on Memorial Day because I always know that when it gets to be the end of the school year and we're all done, it's just like all I want to do for about four or five days is absolutely nothing. And so you guys showed up today. You could have been anywhere in the world, but you came to be with us today. So once again, give yourself a round of applause. Absolutely. So my name is Jeremy Jones. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And for the last couple weeks, we've been looking at the series called I Matter. And we've been trying to answer the question, do I really matter? Because we know more than anything else, this is something people struggle with in our culture and in our society. And so we said, for what we're going to do for the big chunk of this summer is just simply walk through the book of John. Because in the book of John, we get to see a glimpse of Jesus that's different than any of the other Gospels. John writes about Jesus the way that we would talk about our best friend that we'd known forever. And so we said, for the, for the month of May, for most of June, into July, we're going to be looking at the book of John and just saying, okay, how do we answer this question, do I matter? And so a couple weeks ago we said, yes, we matter because Jesus matters, and Jesus said that we matter. Last week we kind of take a look at it and said, okay, we matter because Jesus will walk into our shame, and he'll remove our shame and replace it with joy. Today we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to be talking a little bit about what gets in the way of us mattering. What are, the th- what are the obstacles that get in the way of us mattering? But before we do that, I've got a question for you guys. What would you change about your life circumstances if you could change anything at all? What would you change about your life circumstances if you could change anything at all? And since I knew I was going to ask this question, I've been thinking about it, and I came up with an answer. I've been living with this condition for about 10 to 15 years. It's called slow metabolism. See, when I, when I, somehow when I turned 23, this condition just came down upon me. Like, you can actually take a look at photos of my life and thin, 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 not so thin, not so thin, bigger, 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 bigger. And I didn't do anything different. I still ate all the same foods. I still did all the same activities. But somewhere around age 23, I got early onset slow metabolism, because that's what I'm going to call it anyway, or something like that. I was like, if I could change anything... I'd love to go back to the days of being, you know, 18, 19, 20, where you ate three cheeseburgers and you still somehow lost weight the next day or something like that, you know? Really miss those days, but those days are long gone. But what we're going to be looking at today is a man who's had a a condition that he's been living with for 38 years. And in John chapter 5, he encounters Jesus. And in this story, we're going to see a couple of obstacles and barriers in this man's life that I think can be extracted from the story and basically apply to just almost anyone. So if you have a Bible or a tablet, an iPhone, or whatever it is you use to read Scripture, we're going to be in John chapter 5, starting at verse 1. And out of this story, we're going to be able to draw a lot of really good things today. So in John chapter 5, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, and they waited for the moving of the waters. From time to time an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. All right, we're going to stop right there because this needs some explanation, okay? 
I don't know where you fall if like, you're a historian or a theologian or something like that. Most people that I tend to respect do not believe an actual angel came down and stirred the water and people got healed. This was just a common rumor or myth or something. Basically, this was the essential oils of the day. Sorry for all of you guys that love essential oils or something like that. But they basically had this theory that an angel would come down and stir this hot water pool, like this mineral springs pool, and whoever the first person to be able to touch the water after that would instantly be healed. Now, there's a few problems with this. Whoever the first person that can get down to the pool is, is probably not that sick. If you can beat all the sick, crippled, lazy people or broken people, you're probably pretty okay to begin with, okay? So they have this theory. Whoever the first one that touches the waters gets healed. Secondly, nowhere else in the Bible does God act like this. Nowhere else does God make it a race to see who can uh, get his blessing the first, okay? But this was the rumor of the day, that there was this place, that this pool, and it was probably some sort of mineral springs or hot water springs, and, you know, there'd be occasional disturbances, the water would bubble up or something like that. And actually, if you look throughout literature of almost any culture in the world, hot water springs always have some um, myths and legends attached to them and stuff like that. Magical things are always supposed to happen there. So in this day and time, there was this rumor, this theory, that if you were the first one to touch the water, you would be magically healed. And over time, it had built up to such a point where you had lots and lots and lots of people sitting by this water, hoping to be the first one in. All right, now we're going to keep looking in. One, of, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now, you would think that the answer is pretty obvious. Yes, yes, I would. I've been this way for 38 years. I would like to walk. That seems like something that I would really much like to do. I'm almost like, okay, Jesus, why did you even bother to ask the question? You know the answer. But look what the man does. He doesn't immediately respond with a yes. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. Now this should be a pretty good day. This should be, hey, this is, this is something really good. But look what immediately happens to the man. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who'd been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. Nothing like someone to come and just rain down on your parade. Okay, let, let me explain what's going on here. In Jewish culture at the time, they had taken the Ten Commandments and added a bunch of rules to the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments was you shall not work on the Sabbath. You know, That's a day to rest, reflect, give the day back to the Lord. Well, they had said, okay, well, we want to make sure that we don't even slightly break this rule. So they started coming up with what is everything that we can describe as work? Because we're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And so they made tons and tons of rules about what you could and could not do. And apparently, one of the rules that you could not do was to carry your mat on the Sabbath. That was a form of work. So even though the man has just been healed after 38 years, there's someone here to rain down on his parade and tell him, no, I'm sorry, you can't do that. That's a form of work. All right. Here's what we're going to do. I think in this story, there's a couple things that unique to the story, but broad applications. I think there are three things in this story that steal our sense of whether or not we matter, that steal our sense of whether or not we have any worth. A couple of them you can see with the man's own response. A couple of them you see from the Pharisees. And so what we're going to do today is we're just going to take a look. Okay, what are three things that rob us of our sense of worth? We've been told God says we matter. 
But what can pull that away? What can rip that away from us? The first one I want to talk about is toxic thoughts. When Jesus asked this man, do you want to get better? What did he immediately reply with? Not, yes, absolutely. He immediately started talking about things he'd been thinking about. He immediately started comparing circumstances. He said, someone always beats me to the pool. He he didn't say, okay, I've got the Son of God in front of me. He starts talking about reasons why things aren't good. He starts comparing his circumstance to everyone else. Jesus, I'd like to get better, but someone always beats me to the pool. I think for a lot of us, we, we fall into this trap of Jesus is asking us, do you want to get better? Do you want to see things improve in your life? Do you want to matter? And we, we're, we're talking about, well, see, in my circumstance, it's a little bit harder. It's a little bit different. We have the Son of God standing in front of us, and we want to talk about what's happening in somebody else's life. I was looking at this study, and they asked people, how much money would you need in order to feel rich? How much money would you need in order to feel rich? They said that everyone responded with about 20% more than they currently made until you got to people who had about a net worth of $10 million, And then at $10 million, they finally said, okay, I guess I'm rich. But basically, if you ask people if, who made $50,000, they said, well, okay, well, I need, about, I need about 60 to feel rich. If you ask people who made about 100000 they said, well, I need about 120. And so basically, people at every single level said, okay, well, look around, look around. For me to feel rich, I need to be just slightly above where I'm at right now. Because what, would, what do we do? We look around and we compare circumstances. We look at what I have in my life and we say, okay, if I could just get a slightly bit higher, then life would be good. Then things would be okay. Or you do that classic, classic thing that so many people do where you look at your driver's license photo and that you're like, this is who I am. And then you look at everyone else's Instagram photo, profile photo, and you're like, that's who the rest of the world is. Or you're looking at your driver's license and you're looking at their like prom picture, Facebook photo, retouch stuff, and you're like, this, these are my circumstances and these are everybody else's circumstances. This man was doing the exact same thing. Son of God standing in front of you. He might have the power to do a thing or two. Asking you, do you want to be well? And you start talking about, this is what's going on in everyone else's world and here's what's happening with me. You start comparing circumstances. Comparing circumstances always robs us of our joy, of our sense of do we matter. The second thing he did is he had a toxic focus. He went toxic thoughts and a toxic focus. His whole hope was wrapped up in getting to a pool that probably wasn't going to do anything. I mean, sure, it probably had some good mineral water in it or something like that, but his whole focus was on getting to something that wasn't really going to do much for him. And then he starts blaming people because he doesn't get there. He says, everybody else has someone to help them get into the pool. I'm just here by myself. We do this so often. We have an idea of what we think is going to make our life better, and when we don't get it, we blame other people for not helping us get there along the way. All of us probably have that friend, or we know that guy that still blames his high school coach for why he's not a millionaire. You know this guy? He's like, you know, if coach would have just put me in the game, I'm pretty sure we would have won the state title, and I would have gotten a scholarship, and I'd I'd be making like a million dollars right now, and I always think about, like, have you ever seen that movie, Napoleon Dynamite? I always think about the Uncle Rico character who's always, like, he blames everybody. It's like, oh, I'd be, I'd be living the good life right now. And you see it. Okay, what's the, what's the win? The win and for him is I'd be a millionaire playing football. Whose fault is it? Not mine. It's my coach's because he didn't put me in. And we've all got that. We have all know those people who say, okay, they've got a bad focus, and they're blaming other people on why their life is the way that it is. The man at the pool. Ah, no. The pool's going to fix me. Nobody helps me. 
That's why I'm stuck here. That's the way life is, the way that it is. I always think about this. There's always these, what I call, I call them TDU statements. And this is nothing a scholar came up with. I just entirely made this up, but it helps me in life. So I thought I'd share it with today. A TBU statement is a true but unhelpful statement. For example, if my boss wasn't such a jerk, then I would blank. Or if my uncle hadn't been so stingy with the family inheritance, then I... Or if my you know, dad hadn't been bailed, then I would... The statement is 100% true. Maybe your boss is a jerk. Maybe your uncle did steal the inheritance. Maybe your dad did bail. All of these things are 100% true but it keeps us stuck because we never get past them. We, we're stuck living in the past, and life keeps going on, going on, going on, and we're still saying, this happened, but I can't get past it. I can't get over it. And I'm not, I'm, once again, I'm not saying that bad things haven't happened to you. I'm not saying bad things haven't happened that you might need some help and some counseling. I'm 100% saying that is 100% true. But if we keep staying stuck in the past with a focus saying, my life is bad because of this, we never, ever, ever, ever actually move in any forward. We're stuck in the past. The statement is true, but it's unhelpful. The final thing that I see in this situation that really hurts the guy is he's surrounded by toxic people. Toxic thoughts, toxic focus, toxic people. And this is listening to people who do not care about you. The Pharisees did not care about whether or not this man had just been healed. Most of the time, if I saw a guy who hadn't walked for 38 years and then he gets up and walks... I'm going to be like, hey, that's pretty cool. I would like to get to know you more. Tell me a little bit about your story. But they do not care about him. They care more about what their own rules are, or their own opinions, or something like that. There will always be people around us who are motivated more by their own self-interest than they are our care, our worth. And they will always be more than happy to share their opinion with you about how you need to live your life. And if we aren't careful, if we continually surround ourselves with toxic people, It will constantly pull away from our sense of worth. It will constantly pull away from our God-given identity. I think about this all the time. Like, There's always that guy that's like, oh, you were so much more fun before you quit drinking. And you're like, you happen to have three DUIs and have to Uber everywhere. Thank you for sharing that, you know? Or there's always the guy that's like, you know, you've really changed a lot. And you're like, I understand that I've changed a lot. You're constantly asking to borrow money off of me and can't keep a job. So... You know, there's always those people that their circumstances themselves are negative and they want to keep clawing you back and moving you back down with them. Or the guy that's always like, man, why don't you come to the club with me anymore? I'm like, well, because you've been married four times now and I'm not interested in living that type of lifestyle anymore. There's always those people that want to drag you down into their negativity, that want to keep dragging you down because let's face it, it's more fun to be negative together than to see a friend move on and continue to grow and continue to develop. And so there's always these toxic people that are surrounding you, that you have to be very, very careful. Okay, who am I surrounding myself with? Because the man, this should have been the happiest day of his life, and he gets instantly surrounded by people who do want to do nothing but steal his joy and tell him how bad his life should be or how he needs to go back to a certain way of doing things. And so now that I've said all of that, toxic people, toxic thoughts, toxic focus, the question is, okay, Jeremy, thanks for all of that, but I kind of already knew that. Like That's like pulling up to the side of the road and seeing someone whose car's broken down and being like, hey, you're stuck, aren't you? Yes, thank you for sharing what I already knew. So we could leave it there and just walk away, but that doesn't really help anybody all that much. Most of us know toxic thoughts are bad, toxic people are bad, toxic focus. Here's what I want to do. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about, okay, what do you do when you find yourself in those situations? Or how do you combat that? How do you, 
How do you change gears so that you're not stuck in the situation where you constantly feel like you don't matter? And so just taking it one at a time. Moving from toxic thoughts to spiritually healthy thoughts. Here's the thing that we need to do. Pick up your mat. And here's what I mean by that. There's a reason Jesus told the man to pick up his mat. Because our mat is our story. Our mat is a reminder of what God delivered us from. Our mat tells us, this is where I was, and this is what God did for me. So in each of our situations, what is your mat? What is the thing that's a reminder of where you were when God rescued you? I actually am pretty lucky. I get a monthly reminder of where I was at when God rescued me. See, when I was about 20 years old, I decided, or actually when I was 18, it, it took me two years for it to fully catch up to me. When I was 18, I decided, hey, I'm an adult now. I don't need God. I don't need anybody. I can do whatever I want in life, and everything will just be magical, and it'll all somehow work out. And so for about two years, I ran far away from God and everything that made good sense. And during that time, I lost all of my college scholarships and pretty much bottomed out. And so then I was 20 years old, and I was like, hey, college costs money. And Apparently, if you get put on academic probation enough semesters in a row, you lose these scholarships that were paying for everything. So each month now, I get a monthly statement telling me how much I owe in student loans. <laughs> that reminds me of where I was when I was 20 years old, had bottomed out and said, okay. And I know I kind of said it in a flippant manner, but when I was 20 years old, I was very much broken. I had a pregnant girlfriend, and I was like, where am I headed in life? I thought I was a lot smarter than this. I thought I was a lot better than this. And it was at that moment, in a very, very low moment, I turned back to God. And so, like I said, each month I get, I get a, a statement telling me what my mat is. This is where I was. For you, though, what is, that, what is your mat? What is that part of the story? Because here's the deal. When you remember what God saved you from, you're replacing toxic thoughts with gratitude and thankfulness. You're replacing the unfairness of what everybody else has, the unfairness of all of their circumstances with Here's where I was, and here's what God delivered me from. In Romans 12, chapter 2, this is a verse that if you, if you struggle with spiritually healthy thoughts, here's a verse that you might want to consider memorizing this week. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For some of us, it's our thoughts that we, we need to take captive. It's our thoughts that continually remind us and keep making our life feel more toxic. So getting spiritually healthy thoughts would move us pretty far forward. For some of us, though, it's our focus. And to get a spiritually healthy focus, here's something that, and this is going to be hard for a lot of us, especially those of us that have been following Jesus for a while. To get a spiritually healthy focus, you have to take your focus off of whatever currently occupies your life and put it back on Jesus. And the reason I say this is hard for those of us that have been following Jesus for a while is that for a lot of us, we've gotten very good at making Jesus part of our life, but not the focus of our life. It's like me eating kale once a week, wondering why I'm not getting healthier. I ate my kale on Sunday. Kale's a superfood. It's got all kinds of nutritional value. Look at your diet for the rest of the week, Jeremy. Look at the lack of exercise for the, last of the, the rest of the week. A lot of us that, have, that follow Jesus, our focus is not on Jesus. He's a part of our life, but he's not anywhere near the entirety of our life. He's not our focus. He's not what we what we rise with, what we go to bed with. He's not how, he is not shaping our day-to-day lives. And so for a lot of us that have been following Jesus for a while, we have, to get, we have to start deliberately moving our focus over. We call these things spiritual disciplines. The deliberate practices that say, I understand that every day the world is going to be trying to pull my focus in a million different ways, so I'm going to have to be deliberate about what I choose to do with my time. 
I am going to have to spend time in prayer because if I don't spend time in prayer, the world's going to be telling me something different and I need to hear from my Heavenly Father what's true and what's right. I need to spend time in Scripture because every single day the world's telling me this list of lies, or not even necessarily lies, but things that have no spiritual value to me whatsoever. When I, re- when I dive into Scripture and I see what God has to say, I'm reminded of, okay, I'm a son of God, I'm a daughter of God, I'm a child of God, and I matter. Spiritual disciplines are not things that we do simply because they're good and proper. We do them because they're how we refocus on God. If you struggle with having a healthy focus, the, the verse I wanted to share with you guys today is in Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. And this is what it says. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. It's not just enough to come to know Jesus. Our lives need to be rooted down deep in him, and we need to grow in him until it's covering every single area of our life. For some of us, it's not our thoughts. Some of us, it's not our focus. Some of us, it's our relationships that seems to be doing the most damage. And so, what do spiritually healthy relationships look like? Well, here's one thing I know, and it's been proven over and over and over again. Your attitudes, thoughts, and beliefs tend to be about the composite of your five closest friends. This is why in student ministry, we spend a lot of time talking about pay attention to who your friends are. Yes, be nice to everyone. Be friendly to everyone. Don't treat someone bad, but pay very close attention to who you allow to be your best friends because your best friends shape the direction and the influence of your life. And so I always ask people, who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are the people that you're giving permission to speak into your life? Avoid the uns. Who are the uns, you ask? The people that are more than happy to tell you how unworthy, unattractive, insignificant. You know, there's always people willing to tell you how un you are, how you do not matter. You don't have to ask. They're more than happy to share. Avoid them. Or if you have to be around them because they're in the next cubicle to you, Don't make them your best friend. Don't make it a a relationship of convenience or whatever. Avoid the uns. This is one of the reasons why here at Adventure we're so big on getting into community groups and growth groups. Because you need people that are headed in the same direction as you. You need people who are speaking truth into you. I'm a professional Christian, and most of the good I do is spurred on by others. Okay, I'm really bad by myself at living the kind of life I need to. I need to be surrounded by other people. I need to be surrounded by people who have my best interest in mind. The other thing I always want to tell people who struggle with relationships is be careful what you're expecting out of other people. Other people are not God. I love the way Christine Kane writes it. She writes in, um, put this up on the screen because this is a really good quote. Stop trying to get from other people what you can only get from God. See, a lot of us have this tendency to expect so much out of other people that as soon as they fail us, and they're going to fail us because they're people, they're flawed just like we are. We have this tendency to just want to give up all hope in humanity. Well, they never showed up, and they said they would, and now life is over. And it's like, okay, well, you can't expect something out of somebody else that you can only get from God. God has promised to never leave us, abandon us, or forsake us. Everyone else will fail us eventually, no matter how good their intentions are. Why? Because they're not God. They're going to fail. They're human. And so much of our, so many people I see, the problem is, is that they get so wrapped up in a person. They get so wrapped up in a relationship. And as soon as anything goes wrong, it's like, well, it's all over. I've got to start all over again. And let's face it, every single song on the radio doesn't help. 
Every single romantic movie doesn't really help because it's like, oh, look, there comes Prince Charming, and he will solve all of your problems, and he manages to have, like, oh, uh, just a slight little bit of a rant. I always get so mad at these movies that have a guy who makes tons and tons of money yet never seems to go into work. <laughs> it's like he has a house, he has like three vacation homes, and yet he has this high-paying job that he never has to go to so he can spend all his time with you. You know, I'm sure if I had a, I asked a girl to get up here, she could tell me her like pet peeve about all the romantic movies, probably something like she manages to look fabulous with no effort whatsoever and has like a $40,000 wardrobe and yet somehow is a waitress. That's the one I've always heard. It's like she has a job as a waitress, but she lives in some amazing apartment in New York or something like that. So we always expect so much out of other people, but they're not God. And the more we put on them, the more we're going to have toxic relationships. The other, so if this is the area that you struggle with, if relationships tend to sap your joy the most, the verse that I want to share with you today is that of Hebrews 10.24. And it says that spur one another toward love and good deeds. Spur one another toward love and good deeds. Can you honestly say that the people that you're closest to live this verse out? Are you living this verse out with your closest friends? Are the people that you have the closest relationships with spurring you towards love and good deeds? If not, start examining things. Start rethinking things. Now, this is true for every single area of your life. If you're struggling in an area, area of your life, I'm going to ask you to take a look at what are your thoughts, what is your focus, what is your relationship? What are the relationships like? If you want to get, um, we've been talking about better marriages because uh, we're doing this weekend remember retreat we've been promoting. What are your, are you hanging out with people who have good marriages? It's always funny, like, my marriage is struggling. All of your friends are struggling too. Find someone that you can hang out with that has a good, healthy marriage. Start learning from them. What are your thoughts? What are your focus in your marriage? Do you have a spiritually healthy focus? Do you have spiritually healthy thoughts about your spouse? If not, you're going to stay stuck, just like that man, for 38 years, thinking that something's going to fix your situation that's not. Or I'm going to ask you, like, okay, if you're struggling in your business or your career, you're struggling in any area of your life, take a look at your relationships, take a look at your focus, take a look at your thoughts. Spend time with people who are healthy in those areas. Spend time pursuing Jesus. I always think the funniest part about this story is the man is face-to-face with the Son of God, and he tells God every reason he can't instead of looking at the one who can. Jesus will make you better, not a pool, not something else. It's always found in Jesus. And the reason this is so important to us as a church is that we reproduce who we are. You reproduce who you are. And as a church, if we are people full of toxicity, we're going to pass that on to every single person around us. If we are people that are healthy and people who have a focus and understand our worth and the value that we have in Christ, that's what we pass on to the world around us. And so this is not just a self-help, get better, feel better about yourself kind of day, although that's all true and stuff like that. This is vitally important because if we're going to be a church that changes our community, if we're going to be a church that shows the world how much God loves them, then we've got to get rid of the toxicity in ourselves. We've got to let God clean it out and replace it with himself because that's what we're going to reproduce. That's what we're going to pass on. And too many people in this world are struggling thinking that no one loves them, no one cares about them, and they do not matter because they see it in all of us. And when we say, okay, you know what, God, I'm going to let you speak into who I am. I'm going to let you speak into my life. I'm going to make you my focus. Your thoughts will be my thoughts. Your relationships, I'm going to let you start to direct those because that's where I find my value. That's where I'm going to grow. Then that's what we pass on to the world around us. That's what we're going to show the world and how they matter. 
Because Jesus Christ came and died so that we would know this. He rose again so that we would have life after this. And so today for you, maybe, the, this, maybe this is the very first day that you say, you know what, I'm getting rid of the toxicity. I'm getting rid of all the crap that's built up, all the things that have been twisted in my life. I'm turning that over to God and I'm letting him replace them with something that's a lot more healthy, something that actually looks real, something that's actually built on love. And if that's you today, after the service, I'm going to ask that you stop by our prayer room and let one of our prayer counselors talk to you. Because they would love to walk you through what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to build a life on healthy things versus toxic things? And so in a second, we're going to, we're going to say prayer. And if, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life, make that today. Quit living a life that's just full of negativity, of people pulling you away from what's true and what's right. And embrace a life of something better, found only in Jesus. So if you would, pray with me. Our dear Heavenly Father, Lord, my prayer is that for each and every single person in here, we would renew our focus, we would renew our thoughts, we would turn our relationships towards you. Lord, we know that you are capable of doing far more than we could ever hope or imagine. And so my prayer is that for the guy or the girl in this room today that's never accepted you as Lord and Savior, that today would be the day they would move towards you, that we would get rid of anything hindering us, we'd remove our focus from anything but you, Because it's in you that we find meaning. It's in you that we find worth. It's you that we find our sense of belonging. Lord, make us new. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.